following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. I can't help but um, in that last song, hear the voices of my kids singing it. Um, It's one of their favorite songs. And there is just something so beautiful about the Lord moving in our children. I got to have a conversation with a a young girl in our church who's going to get baptized on Easter. And um, man, the Lord moving through children, that never gets old. Never gets old. Praise God for his love. Now, um, this is, an, um, I think, an amazing time of the year. Um, spring has, it's official now. Spring is here. March Madness is here. Easter is around the corner. Not in that priority list, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's a great time of year. I hope you're encouraged. But would you, if you have your Bibles with you, would you open them? to Genesis, scroll with me, however you get there, to Genesis 28. 28. We have a fun one. Uh, I would like for us to hone in, center in on the, starting in verse 10, so you can find your place with me. And as we get to our text, I want to talk a little bit about Jacob. And I want to paint a picture for you of Jacob. Uh, He doesn't come off looking great. Just FYI, doesn't come off looking all that wonderful in our text. Uh, If you remember, Jacob, we just saw Jacob tricking Esau into giving him his birthright. It's awesome. Then we remember Jacob tricking, with the help of his, his mother, tricking Isaac, his dad, into getting the blessing. So what we've seen from Jacob so far is his the way he has deceived in order to get his birthright and, and the blessing. And, and as we read this, we have to stop and just think, like, I mean, if we're honest, wait, God, are you really going to bless this guy? Are you really going to bless this guy, use this guy? And then we see as our chapter opens that the blessing gets reinstated to Jacob. And we, we read this and we think Jacob, the trickster, the deceiver, the, is blessed by Isaac and gets all of these things. And we read this and we think, why? We have to ask the question. Here's the question. Why Jacob? Why Jacob, that's our question this morning. The, the dude, in my opinion, was what is referred to as an EGR. Anyone familiar with an EGR? Extra grace required person. An EGR. This was Jacob. He was an EGR kind of guy, and we have to stop and we have to say, why? Why, Jacob? Why, Jacob? And then we have in, the, in our text, we're going to get to verse 10, but we see that Jacob's traveling out just as Isaac commands him to do. He's setting out, and, and we get to verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. So he sets up camp, right? He sets up camp. And then it says, 
Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. So any campers? Anyone? <laughs> Not a lot. I, I love it. You like the great outdoors, anyone? Yeah, all right, all right. At least we're honest. Uh, I do, but you know what I have never done? I have never gone camping and just grabbed a stone for a pillow. I mean, let's not rush past this. I mean, he had to have had some fabric, a bag, a flip-flop. No, he picks a stone. I don't know if this was a thing back then. I also remember in our text that we already were, we've been told that Jacob was more of the great indoorsman. Esau was the great outdoorsman. Maybe Jacob just didn't know how to do this. Like, he just, maybe he just stinks at camping. But you know what I do know is after a long day, You'll sleep on anything. Like, you could curl up right here on this floor and go to sleep. Maybe that was Jacob, right? He, he, he grabs, he snuggles up with his rock pillow, and he's out, all right? And then we have verse 12. Let's see what happens next. He, um, he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. This is the famous Jacob's Ladder. What kind of ladder was this? It's a fun question. And in fact, was it a ladder with rungs? Was it more of a stairway? Ooh, was it a ziggurat kind of thing? What kind of ladder are we dealing with? You want to know what's funny? Is if you look at commentators on this, they will go on for pages about what kind of ladder this is. Here's the fact. We don't know. I had one commentator that I read that spent at least three pages telling me why it couldn't be a ladder with rungs because it just simply wasn't wide enough for angels to be going up and down at the same time. <laughs> you laugh, but it's there. It's there. I'm pretty sure we're talking about angels here. Spatial ladder issues I don't think will be the challenge. But anyway, the point is not the kind of ladder. The point was the presence of the ladder. The point wasn't what kind of ladder it was. The point was the presence of this ladder. Here's what I mean. This was a connection with God. A connection with God. It was a link, a ladder from the divine to the human, from the creator to the creation. As I read this, it, I had to be reminded. I mean, right off the bat, I was reminded of Genesis 11. We have the story, if you remember, of the Tower of Babel. And if you remember what they did, they said, hey, come let us get together and we're gonna build a tower and it's gonna go up into the heavens. We're gonna build a ladder, tower, whatever, to the heavens. That was creation saying, we're gonna come together and connect ourselves to creator. Let us from earth build a staircase, ladder, ziggurat, tower, whatever, to go from heaven to earth. And that did not work. It fell flat. In fact, one of my, the, our Bible, it has some humor in it. You have to read it. Don't take yourself so seriously that you, don't, that you miss it. Because in the, the Babel account, we have that they tried so hard to get up to build up, and then we have in verse 5 of 11, the Lord says, I'm going to come down and see what these people have done. It's like, they worked so hard to get up, it's going to be spectacular, but he has to come down 
to see it. There's, there's humor in that. But listen, when creation tries to reach creator, it does not work. It fails, it falls flat, it never works. And the gospel flips it upside down. Our gospel says that creation does not reach up to creator, but creator has reached down to creation. The gospel is that God came down, put on flesh, dwelt among us. The gospel is Emmanuel, God with us. And here in Jacob's story, we get a small glimpse of this as creator reaches down into creation and Jacob finds himself witnessing this. In verse 12, we, we, we continue to get a description of this. He says, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. That's everywhere. And you and your offspring, in you and your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. <laughs> Whew. God shows up and just blesses Jacob beyond belief and comprehension. God says, I am God, I will bless you. I will bless you with this land, I will bless your people, your children. I'm even going to bless, bless the entire globe through you, through your family, through what I am doing in you. I'm going to bless them all. God says, I'm going to go with you, I'm going to be your God I'm gonna keep you, I'm gonna protect you, I'm gonna provide for you, I'm not gonna leave you until I do exactly what I promised to do for you. Again, let's return to our first question. Why Jacob? Why this deceitful bonehead? Why? You have to be thinking it. Church, in so many ways, this text, in this text, we see one of the most important truths of the gospel that we hold to, that we cling to, that we proclaim. Jacob was not blessed because of Jacob. Jacob was not blessed because of how good he was, because of his awesomeness. Jacob was not blessed because of anything that Jacob brought to the table. As I said, Jacob was an EGR kind of guy. That was Jacob. Jacob was not blessed because of Jacob. Jacob was blessed because the unmerited, unearned grace of God. That is why Jacob was blessed. Jacob was not blessed because he was good. Jacob was blessed because God is good. Jacob was not blessed because he set himself apart from all of the rest Jacob was blessed because God set him apart from all of the rest. This is huge. 
in this, we see grace. And it makes no sense. We can't rush past this. Grace like this does not make sense. It never will. And the minute it does, the minute your salvation makes sense to you, the minute you think, yeah, it makes sense that God would save me, that God would call me, that God would love me, that God would pick me for his team, the minute that makes sense to you is the minute we have misunderstood the gospel completely. Completely. God does not love you or call you to himself because you are good. He loves you because he is good. Your righteousness is like filthy rags even on your good days. Our God is good and he is full of grace. Hear me. The story of scripture and I bet, you've, I bet you've noticed this, is not, like when you, when you read this, it's not about God going around and pulling together all the heroes, the rock stars, those who make sense. <laughs> That's not what our scripture is. It's not a collection of stories of God going and finding the superheroes from among us. The Bible is about really one hero, and the Bible is not about calling heroes, it's about calling heathens through that one hero. That's what, that's what this is. Why Jacob, for that matter, why Moses? Why Gideon? I'll pick on him, he bothers me sometimes. Why Samson? Why David? Why Mary? Why Peter? Why me? Why you? I mean, you know you. Why you? The answer is simple. It is because the grace of our God through Jesus Christ. There is only one who is good. There is only one who is good, and it's not you. You are saved by grace, and the minute you think, well, God is really fortunate to have me on his team, is the minute you have completely misunderstood grace. The minute you think, well, I'm above average, I'm better than that guy at least, is the minute that we have completely misunderstood grace. And the second you catch yourself thinking that, which you will, because this is one of the attacks of our enemy, the minute you catch yourself, catch that kind of self-righteousness rising up in you as God's people saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, let us repent and call it for what it is, sin. Let us repent. That is just more evidence of the grace you need. Your self-righteousness is just more evidence that of your need for grace, evidence about how blind you are. Why Jacob? Why this EGR Jacob? Why him? The gospel is all about EGR people. Praise God that our God is the provider of extra grace. In fact, the gospel is all about extra grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. 
That's what our gospel is all about. It's about drowning in grace. This is how we, an EGR kind of people, can say with confidence, Romans 8.1, that there is therefore now no condemnation through Jesus Christ our Lord. How can we say that? How can we say that? Because it's not about us as creation reaching up to our creator. It is about our creator who has reached down to us, provided us with a grace beyond belief. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. That's our gospel. And let's look at Jacob's response here. Um, I actually really love the first part. I love this. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't, I didn't even know it. That's wonderful. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. It's just incredible acknowledgement. I translate this into saying, that just happened. This is Jacob's response. My words. The creator just stepped down. How awesome is this place? But even in this moment, in all of this awe, in all of this mind-blowing moment, Jacob does not get it. He doesn't quite understand. Because he goes from this moment of worship to this really janky and strange vow. I don't know if you have read this before. You read this and you're like, what? I mean, let's just, let's just, let's look what happens as morning rolls around. So early in the morning, verse 18, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head. He took his pillow And he set it up for a pillar, poured oil on top of it, called the name of that place Bethel, meaning house of God. Up to this point, it's awesome. The name of the city was was Luz at first. Um, All good up to this point. But then we get to verse 20. Then Jacob made an odd vow, saying, my translation again, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me I will give a full tenth to you. All right, this is fun. Um, so we have these, this, this strange if-then vow to the God of the universe. Let's, let's unpack it a little bit. Let's examine this a little bit. Jacob says, one, if, you, if God will be with me, if you will keep me, if you will give me bread to eat, if you will give me clothes to wear, and if you'll bring me back to my father's house in peace. Those are his if statements. You know what sticks out to me about that? Um, God had literally just got done promising him something, and it was way better than his if-then statement. It's like he took the grandeur of what God had just promised and said, let me cheapen it, and let me include that in my if-then statement. Just strange. God literally just said, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you. And I will do this. And I won't leave you until I have promised, until all that I have promised to do happens. God literally just made that promise. 
this was not a time for an if-then statement. This was a time for a since-then statement. (laughs) Not an if-then statement. He lessens the promise of God because God had literally just promised to do all of what he just said in his vow except much more. Because not included was the, I will give you this land. I will give it to you and your offspring. I will bless the globe with you and your people. I will spread your people from the north, south, east, west. I'm going to bless everyone through you. Jacob actually makes the promise of God smaller, less spectacular in his, in his bargaining. One more observation. Um, here, would you notice the ridiculousness of the then parts of this vow as well? Let me just read it again. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I've set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So we have a couple of then statements. One is then you shall be my God. Now, I'm going to state the obvious here. Um, God is God regardless of whether or not you call him that. He is the one true God whether or not you call him the one true God. Jacob, in essence, says, if you do all this, then you will be my God. It's like, this is a weird analogy. I'm going to use it, though. It has to be weird because what, just, what was just said was weird, right? So here's the analogy. If, um, if you were to give me... It'd be like me saying, if you give me a dollar, then you shall be a human being. That's crazy, because you are a human being, regardless of whether or not you give me a dollar. You're a human being because you are a human being, apart from me even calling you a human being. You are a human being because you are a human being. Church, God is the one true God. Apart from anything he does, apart from us calling him that, his deity is not dependent on you in any way. He is God because he is God. What's even more, just look at this next then statement. He talks about his stone and The statement is basically the equivalent of Jacob saying, you know what, God, if you do all of that, I'm going to call you what you already are, and I'm going to give you my pillow. (laughs) Boil it all down here. You're going to bless my socks off. I then will call you what you already are, and I will take this stone, this pillow of mine, and give it to you. And this is absurd. It, it's crazy on a lot of reasons, uh, a lot of levels. But first, who created that stone? Who created, who formed that pillow of Jacob's? So, in essence, Jacob is saying, you know what, if you do all this for me, I'm going to call you what you already are, and I'm going to give you what is already yours. We must understand, our God is God, the stone already belongs to him. Then Jacob gets to his final if or then statement. He says, if you do all that, I'm going to call you my God, I'm going to give you my, my pillow, and then I'm going to give you a full tenth whoo, of everything you've given me. It's a deal. That is a deal. If you give me everything, I'm going to give you a tenth. 
Um, it would be like me coming to you and say, let's make a deal. You give me $100, and in exchange, I'm going to give you a 10. That's a good deal. It's absurd. It's absurd. It is absolutely absurd. And, and we read this. We see it. A commentator said this well. He said, this whole scene, this vow, shows us that Jacob was a bit more scoundrel than saint at this point. We see the absurdity of this, yet how often do we do the very same things? The very same thing. God, if you do this, then I will do this. God, if you get me through this job situation that's terrible, then I'll serve you with my life. If you get me through this relationship problem that is just tearing me up, if you get me through this, I'm going to go join a church. If you get me through this, I'm going to start giving back. I'm going to start giving my money, my time, my resources. Anyone ever done anything like this? You are in great company. Don't you dare be embarrassed. These if-then statements and our God all the while just looks down on us and says, I am God. And I have, what I have promised you is better than your if-then statements. I am God. I have promised to hold you and to keep you. I have promised to use all things for your good. The good and the bad are going to do nothing but Grow you in your faith. I have promised to bring all, thing together, all things together for your good. I have promised to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. In fact, I have already blessed you beyond your wildest dreams through Jesus Christ. That's already yours. And in all of your bargaining, all of our then statements, God says, you know, I haven't only called you to start serving me. I've called you to be mine fully and completely. Don't lessen what I have called you to be. And as you do this, you'll experience the most true and wonderful joy and peace of Jesus Christ. I have not only called you to join a church, for example, I have called you into my people, into my family, not to attend, but to belong. It's way better. And in that, you experience the most true joy and peace. I have not only called you to start giving back I've called you to give it all and to die to yourself. Giving it all back to me, living sacrificially to me as a faithful steward. And in that, again, you will experience the most true and wonderful joy and peace that is found in Jesus Christ. We have this tendency, just like Jacob, to do two things. Number one is to cheapen and lessen the greatness of our God and the gospel. And number two, while also cheapening and lessening the calling that he has placed on our lives. We want to do both of those things. In other words, we, we fail to see how truly incredible and how holy and how perfect, how righteous he is while at the same time failing to see how all-encompassing his call in our lives truly is. 
He doesn't just want part of you. He wants all of you. And because of this, if-then statements are absurd. They always fall short. But unfortunately, if we're honest, this if-then statement here from Jacob is so relatable. We read this, we read about Jacob's life, we can't help but think, come on, Jacob. Why can't you see it? Why can't you put down all of the deception? Why can't you put down all the games, all the bargaining? Why, Jacob? And the whole point of all of this this morning all boils down to this. You are Jacob. You are Jacob. And apart from the absolute grace of God, it makes no sense that your God would save you. If a a book was written about your life, we would all read it and go, why? And that's the point. And I'm not saying this lightly. I'm not saying this to offend you. But you and your own righteousness are no better than anyone else. You're no more lovable. You've done nothing to make you more savable than anyone else. Nothing. We've, we've said this before, but God didn't pick you because of anything you brought to this table. And in fact, the things that you try to bring to the table are often the things that get you in trouble. You are saved completely and fully by the grace of God. The Bible says that you were dead. Dead is dead. Dead things don't brag to other dead things that they're less dead than those other dead things. Dead is dead. Dead. It's only by the grace of God that God breathes life into your lungs. It's only by the grace of God that dead things become alive. Jacob and Jacob's story, Jacob's ladder, is a story about grace, about the grace of our God. Why Jacob? The better question is why me? Why you? Why us? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch Like me, I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. Why Jacob, why me, why you? When we realize that that, the answer to that question is by the grace of our God, the grace of our God alone, then and only then, we will be able to see the real beauty and the wonder and the goodness of the gospel that we stand on, the gospel that we proclaim. Then and only then, we will be able to lay down all of our self-righteousness. Then and only then, we will be able to look at others with love and compassion, genuine love and compassion. Then and only then, we understand the, the gospel. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, as we read earlier, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Not one of us. Why Jacob? Why would God choose Jacob? I don't see any works to warrant it. Why Jacob? The answer is grace. 
And it's the same answer today for you and for me. Why me? Why you? Why us? It is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It is only by the grace of our God through Jesus Christ. Church, let's pray together. God, what a privilege, what a joy, how overwhelming it is to realize that we are saved by your grace and by your grace alone. God, all too often, we buy the lie that you love us because of our performance. All too often we buy the lie that you love us because of what we do and what we don't do and how we live and how we don't live. And Lord, your word is so clear that you have chosen us before the foundation of the world that we would be yours. You have saved us while we were dead in our sin through the work of your son on the cross for us, for our sins, for our shortcomings. That you have called us to yourself because you are good, not because we are good. And that all of the fruit, all of the the good things that we now do in your, in this life, is just an overflow of the work you've done in our heart. We can't boast in that. We are saved by grace and grace alone. By your grace, we now get to live that out. Church, with your head bowed and eyes closed, um, before we move on from this moment, I just want to encourage you to check your heart right now. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I want to encourage you, challenge you right now to ask that the Holy Spirit would reveal the ways that you're trying to bring things to this table. Ways that you're trying to set yourself up beyond others. Ways that you are trying to earn the unearnable grace of our God. And in this moment, as the Spirit begins to reveal those things, would we just begin to repent and confess? When we have taken the good works that are meant to bring Him glory, and we have taken our good works that now bring us the glory, would we now repent and lay that down and ask that the Lord, through His grace and His mercy, would forgive us? And if you're here this morning and you do not yet know Jesus, you do not yet follow Jesus, when I talk about this grace that it just does not make sense to you, you have not lived that or experienced that, I pray that in this moment, your heart would be open. It's the kindness of our God that is meant to draw us to and toward repentance. Our God is a God of love and grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. And right now, I just pray that your hearts, your eyes, your ears would be open to what the Spirit is doing in you, drawing you to faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I just want to say that you can know Jesus Christ.
you can follow him and know that you are his. And if you need prayer this morning, please don't leave here without coming to see, coming to find us. I, I won't leave. I promise I'll be the last one. But right now, let us just respond. As a church, collectively, let us just respond to the grace that we have seen in this text.